Luke chapter 9, we are continuing our series that we've been in the last several weeks that we've entitled, Who Does Jesus Love? We're looking at some of these little vignettes in the life of Christ that really give us the answer to that question. Uh, Today we're going to be in verses 51 through 56. Let's pray and then we'll dive into this. Lord, we, we do love you, Lord. We thank you so much for the love that you extend toward us. And God, I pray today that as we look at your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would give me grace today to be able to communicate your word in a way that would honor you, that would encourage those here and those listening online. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be able to gather like this in your name. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, five-year-old Nicole found herself in trouble. So her parents sent her to her room, and she was really, really upset getting sent to her room. And so she's in a room, and she's pouting, she's angry, and she decided to write her parents a little note. And so she wrote, Dear Mom and Dad, I hate you. And then she signed it, Love Nicole. (laughs) Seems she's a little bit mixed up about love and hate. What are some things that you hate? I'll tell you for me, I hate cooked peas. In fact, I hate any vegetable that is mushy. I just don't like that. I hate commercials. Don't like them. Love DVRs. And at our house, when our family's like watching something together, and if somebody has a remote and they're kind of lagging on going through the commercials, I'm like, hey, come on. You know, I hate the, hate the commercials. Hate traffic. Bumper to bumper traffic. How many of you are with me on that? You know, me, I don't like traffic. In fact, I, I've often said that I think hell could be. <laughs> if hell was bumper to bumper traffic... In 100-degree weather, with 90% humidity, no AC in the car, and no radio, to me, that would be punishment enough. You know what I mean? That would be motivation for me to want to get saved, you know, just to avoid that. And if you wanted to turn it up just a notch, the radio plays, but all it plays is Metallica. Um, I mean, (laughs) that could be like, okay, that could be hell, you know? We all have things that we hate, Right? How about this? Are there any people that you hate? Today in our study, we're going to see two of Jesus' disciples who were filled with hatred and prejudice toward a group of people. And we're going to see today how Jesus deals with them. The title of the message today, we've been asking the question, who does Jesus love? The title today is Haters. Let's pick it up here in verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him, speaking of Jesus, to be received up. And the idea here is that he's going, received up as he's going to Jerusalem. It's always you're going up to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. And he, being Jesus, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and set messengers before his face as they, and, and as they went, this is the messengers, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, that being the Samaritans, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. 
And when the disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. To me, this is one of the more human and humorous stories that we have in the New Testament, where two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, who, along with Peter, actually made up what was the inner circle of Jesus. In fact, in this very chapter, if you look at verse 28, Jesus takes those three up to the mountain where he's transfigured before them. It's a really special, incredible moment where they get to see Jesus in an aspect of his glory. But here we see James and John asking Jesus if he wants them to nuke a city. And I think that this is really where the nickname was given to them that they were referred to as the sons of thunder. And think about this. I mean, John, he's called the apostle of love. But here we see he and his brother, they're acting more like the Galilean mafia. You know, they're like, Jesus, do you want us to take these guys out? I mean, this is where these guys are at. Now, in order to understand this story a little bit better and understand where their hearts were at, you need to know a little bit of the background. You see, there had been centuries of prejudice against the Samaritans by the Jews and vice versa. A lot of animosity between these two groups. They were long-standing rivals dating all the way back to the time of King Solomon. And after Solomon died and the nation of Israel was split into two camps. And a guy by the name of Jeroboam, he went and put up a golden calf in Samaria. And then that was compounded years later in 722 BC when the Assyrians took over the land and they began to repopulate that area of Israel with some of their, the people, foreigners that they had captured. And so these foreigners come in, there's still Jews that are living in that area and the Jewish people began to intermarry with these, fo- these foreigners and, and that was a no-no. And the whole bloodline ends up getting co- polluted and contaminated, if you would. And then that's when these people came to be known as the Samaritans. And then that was complicated even more by the fact that when the Jews were, were returning from their exile and they're coming to the southern part of Israel, down in the area of Judea, where Jerusalem is, and they're going to rebuild their temple there in Jerusalem. Well, the Samaritans come down and are like, hey, we want to help. And they said, no, you guys can't help us. You guys are half-breeds, and you can't be a part of this process. So that caused even more animosity to grow between the two. And so while the Jews were rebuilding their temple there in Jerusalem, the Samaritans went and rebuilt their or built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And so you can see this growing animosity where these, you know, the Jewish people, they would avoid the city of Samaria like the plague. The Samaritans, they were looked at as a people with a past. They intermarried with pagans. They were people that were caught up in idolatry and false worship. So here's Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, the center of Jewish worship, and our text tells us that he set his face steadfastly. 
The idea behind that phrase steadfastly is that with no distractions. It's like he's on a mission. It's, it's, it's like when a, when a guy is going to a store to go shopping, right? He is on a mission. He's steadfast. He's going to the store with one mission. He wants to get in and out as quickly as possible, right? That's how guys shop. Most guys, right? Well, this is Jesus. He's on a mission, no distractions. I'm going to Jerusalem because it's there. It's the time for him to be received up. It's the time for him to give his life. And so he's coming through this area of the Samaritans and the Samaritans realize they can tell because Jesus is sort of on this mission that he's not gonna be staying there long. And so they take offense to it. And James and John, they pick up on their attitude and their body language. And so they come and they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and nuke these guys like Elijah did? You know, I have to chuckle that they actually thought that they could do that. I just kind of laugh at that. It's almost like, you know, if somebody insulted my wife and my little four-year-old grandson came up and said, Poppy, do you want me to beat them up for you? You know what I mean? I would chuckle at that. Like, you know, so, you know. But it's interesting. Jesus isn't amused. Big faith, but the wrong heart. Now, I got to say, though, I think there are some Christians living today who unfortunately might have applauded James and John. Like, yeah, nuke them. Get rid of these liberal pagan Samaritans. You know, they don't just, they deserve to be fried. I mean, I think there's some people, unfortunately, professing Christians that that might have been their attitude. Of course, none of you, at least I hope not, (laughs) would have that attitude. But there are those today. So how does Jesus deal with the hatred and the prejudice that we see in these two disciples? If you're taking notes, I want you to jot down three things. Number one, he rebukes them. Notice it says, when Jesus hears what they said, he turns around and he rebuked them. Now, some of you might be thinking, I thought this was called, who does Jesus love? That doesn't seem very loving that he's rebuking them. Well, listen, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said this, those whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So Jesus here is not responding to them in an angry way. He's responding to them in a loving way because he's realizing that what's coming out of them right now is not good. And Jesus isn't just going to let it lie there. He's not going to just let it pass by. He wants to deal with it because he loves them and he's trying to do a work in his life and he does in their lives and he does the same thing with us. He will rebuke you about an attitude. He'll rebuke you. He'll come and chasten you. He'll cheat, cheat, seek to get your attention when there's something going on in your life that is not right. And I think there's a lesson here for us. That it's possible to have, this is what we see from these two guys, it's possible to have great zeal for the Lord and use it in the worst of ways, in unholy ways, in unchristian ways. And this incident also shows us our propensity to misuse scriptures to justify our own sinful anger. Notice the phrase. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them like Elijah did? They're using scripture. 
They're referring back to something that was a part of their history. When there was this wicked king who sent his man to men to come and arrest Elijah the prophet. And so 50 guys come cruising up and they say, hey, the king wants you to come with us. And Elijah's like, I'm not coming with you. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed these 50 guys. So then the king sent another 50. And the exact same thing happened. And a third time, and the third time, the, the, the leader of that group was like, please don't send fire. Can you just come with us, you know? And so Elijah went, but this is what they're referring to. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes these guys. And these, you know, James and John, they're like, hey, do you want us to do that like Elijah did? But Jesus rebukes them. The second thing I want you to notice that Jesus does in dealing with their hatred and prejudice is that he challenges their attitude by this statement. He says, guys, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. Now, I want you to think about this. The Samaritans were messed up. The Samaritan, their worship was false. It was was cultic. It was dishonoring to God. But the, the, the su- suggestion of the disciples here is as equally dishonoring to God. And in essence, what Jesus is saying, you guys, you have the scriptures in your head. You know the Bible. You remember the story. You boys, you have a great memory, but you've got a bad motive. And your heart's all wrong. And that's really what Jesus is most interested in. It it reminds me of what Paul said. You guys know this verse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Paul says, I can speak with tongues, with men or of angels, like a heavenly voice. But, but if I don't have love, I'm just a big, loud, annoying noise. And then he continued, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have the faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And what this reminds us is that God is not impressed with our pseudo-spirituality. You know, Paul would go on to say in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, knowledge, it puffs up, makes us prideful. But love, it builds up. And so I ask you this question. How many times especially in the last 24 months, have we seen people use the Bible in ways that didn't resemble the heart of God at all? Well-meaning people. Using the Bible, but in ways that didn't resemble the heart of God at all and has only brought division in the body of Christ. And I think Jesus would say to us, Guys, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. And I think this is the question, the big question that we need to be asking ourselves is do our attitudes resemble the heart of God? So think back. 
upon this past week, this past month, this past year, how many times might have Jesus said to you or to me, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of right now. What's coming out of your mouth? What's coming out of your heart? That is not of me. It's not my heart at all. I know some people would say, well, I don't know what the big deal is. I just like to speak my mind sometimes, and sometimes I just blow up. Shotguns sometimes just blow up. Grenades blow up, and they cause a lot of destruction. And so do we with our words. So do we a lot of times by what comes out of our mouths. And we have to be so very careful because we will be held accountable for our words. And the Bible says that it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. What's coming out of our mouths, it just is revealing what's in our hearts. And sometimes what's coming out of the hearts of a lot of Christians can just be downright ugly. You know, it's been said that your attitude is the rudder that controls everything in your life. It controls what you say, and it controls what you do. And I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to you, and 90% of how you respond. And I know that oftentimes that 10% can be really, really difficult. And I think there's some of you in this room, some of you may be watching online, who you're going through some heavy things right now, and it's hard. And it's tough, and it's very difficult. But the question is, how are we going to respond to those things? You see, we can respond in a way that brings life to others, or we can respond in a way that brings death to others. We can respond in a way that honors Christ, or we can respond in a way that brings dishonor to Christ. But the choice is up to us. And that really leads to the third point. The first thing we see that Jesus does, he rebukes them. The second thing he does is he challenges their attitude. And the third thing he does is he wants them to see the big picture. And this is what I think the Lord really wants us to grab a hold of as well. The big picture. Notice verse 56. Jesus said, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus was saying, guys, understand something here. I am not mad at the Samaritans. I love them. In fact, that's why I've set my face like a stone to be undistracted, to go to Jerusalem, because I'm about to die on the cross to pay the price for their sin and their rebellion in the same way that I'm going to pay the price for your sin and your rebellion. James and John, they were all caught up in their hatred and prejudice that was blinding them. But Jesus saw that situation completely different than how they were seeing it. They weren't people to be blown up. They were people that he wanted to save. They were people that he wanted to rescue. And you know, whenever we see somebody, our natural tendency... It's to sort of kind of size them up in our minds. So we look at, you know, how they're dressed. I look at, you know, their hairstyle. We're checking out their vibe. And we begin to formulate 
an opinion about them in our minds. Oh, this guy, he looks kind of well-to-do. He looks like really put together. And uh, that guy, not so much. And sometimes we, we have a tendency. It's just like a natural thing that I think a lot of us have a tendency to do. Sometimes when we see people, we have a tendency to see race. We see white, or we see black, or we see Hispanic, or we see Oriental, or you know that sort of thing. Sometimes when we look at somebody, we 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 look at and we're thinking about maybe their sexual preference, that they're you know homosexual, or they're lesbian, or they're they're straight. And I want to just give you this suggestion today. How about we strip away all of that so that all that we see. when we're looking at somebody is a person a person a person who has been made the bible says in the image of god a person that has been made in the image of god that god has a plan and a purpose for their lives now it doesn't matter who the person is god created them in his image He's got a plan and a purpose. But they were made in his image. Now, the Bible tells us that sin, as sin came into the world, it destroyed the image. It marred the image. But Jesus came to restore the image. The Bible says that Jesus came to make of people who had fallen and who were marred because of sin, a new creation in himself where old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And and guys, just think about this. What would happen if we saw every person that way as a person that was made in the image of God, that God loves, that God wants to save? What would happen if instead of seeing red and blue, I'm going to step on some toes here for a minute, red and blue, Republican and Democrat, if we saw a person made in the image of God? You see, when we only see the outward, when we only see red or blue, and we get angry and hateful, Thoughts and words come out of our mouth about somebody because they're a part of the other party. I think Jesus would say to us, guys, you don't know right now what manner of spirit you are of, but it's not mine. It's not my spirit. And think about this. Jesus lived at a time and under a government that was radically evil and oppressive. But that was not his focus His focus was on the hearts and souls and eternities of men. And so we have to be careful of how we look at others. You know, when we say about maybe an unbelieving person that, oh, that guy, he's beyond redemption. Or we say about a wayward child that they are a lost cause. Or we say about a student that they're just hopeless. Or we come down on another person in the, in the church because in our minds they're not as committed as we are because they don't share our passions. And when we get more concerned about somebody's political position rather than their salvation, I think Jesus would say to us, guys, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of right now. You're looking at them all wrong. You need to see the big picture. What I'm about is their hearts. 
their souls, their eternity. Now, please don't get me wrong. I think politics are very, very important. I think that they have their place. I think that we as Christians, it's a privilege that we need to use that we get out and vote. And some are called to serve in greater ways on school boards and city councils and even sometimes in positions. I have a friend right now who she is running for governor in her state and I think that is awesome. This week on my uh, podcast, I'm interviewing Josiah O'Neill. Remember that uh, name. He's running for a seat in our district here in Congress. He's a uh, San Diego sheriff, former Army Ranger. He is a lover of Jesus. He is a great, great guy. We need people like that in the halls of government that are fighting for the freedoms that we have in this country. But here's the big picture. Politics are not the answer. Our hope is not in politics. Our hope is in Jesus. He's the only hope for this wayward world. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was interviewing David Gusick on my podcast, The Basics of Life Conversations. David is a theologian for our day wonderful Bible teacher and just a, a really great lover of the Lord. And I was asking him this question. I said, David, do you think that it's possible for us to see another great revival here in America before Jesus comes back? I said, do you think that's possible? And we started talking about how, you know, and a lot of people are praying right now for revival. We were, we were saying, you know, it's interesting as we, you know, we talk about that we're, we think we're living in the last days. And it seems like everything is pointing to the fact that we're living in the last days, that Jesus is coming soon and we need to be ready. And the Bible seems to indicate that in the last days, things are going to be getting worse, not better. You know, we read things like, like this about the last days, that people will be, that the love of many, it says, will grow cold. Check. We see that happening. It says in the last days that, that lawlessness will abound. Check. We see that happening. It says in the last days that people will be departing from the faith. Can anybody say deconstructing? We see that happening. It says in the last days that, that people will be doing, they'll be all caught up in doing what they think is best instead of what God's word says. Check. We see that happening. That people in the last days will be heaping up, propping up teachers who are going to tell them what they want to hear. Check, we see that happening. That Jesus said the last days would be marked, that they'd be like the days of, of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah that were marked by an increase of violence, a rampant sexual immorality, a growing homosexuality. And we look at all that and go, check, check, check. All of that is happening. And so we were talking about like, okay, we see the Bible seems to be indicating that in the last days, things are going to be getting worse rather than better. So how does a revival fit into that? And I thought his answer was profound. He says, you know, I think it's possible. Definitely praying and hoping for God to pour out his spirit just one last time. But he says, I think it's going to look different in this way. He says, I think the, if there's a revival, it's going to look like this. The light... You see, revival is about the church being revived, Christians being revived. And then that impacts unbelievers. 
He says, I think the light in the church is going to get brighter as more Christians get on fire for Jesus and more unbelievers get saved. The light is going to get brighter, but the dark is going to get darker. In other words, the lines are going to be so distinctly drawn. And the darkness is going to become even more antagonistic against the light. Remember in John chapter 3, Jesus said the darkness hates the light. Why? Because it exposes its evil deeds. And as the light gets brighter and the dark gets darker, the the darkness is going to become even more antagonistic. And I think that is very possible. In fact, I think that those are the days that we are living in right now. And so we need to pray. We need to see the big picture. And we need to pray, Lord, give us your heart. Give us your eyes. Help us to see what's going on around us through the lens of what you're wanting to do in the world and that you're about hearts and souls and the eternity of men. So how does Jesus deal with haters? He rebukes them. He challenges their attitude and he wants them to see the big picture. Now here's the good news about this story. James and John, they get the message. You see, not far from this time that we're looking at here, we come to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 8, where we see this very John and Peter, they go to the city of the Samaritans, the city of Samaria, and they preach the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and a bunch of Samaritans get saved, and like a revival breaks out in that city. It's awesome. But just think, if James and John were able to nuke the city, there wouldn't have been any Samaritans to hear the message of the gospel. But these guys, they got the message. Their hearts were changed. They ended up going to Samaria and preaching about Jesus, and revival breaks out. And you know, the book of Acts chronicles for us the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And it chronicles for us the spread of the gospel throughout the world. And I think in one sense we could say it's the only part of the story that is still being written today. Because the Holy Spirit is still working today through believers. He's working through people like us. To bring the gospel, the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And you've heard me say this before. We could possibly be the last generation of believers that Jesus has chosen to leave on planet Earth right now. And that is both a privilege and a responsibility. That Jesus would say, you're the ones that I want here right before I come back for my church. Now think about that. But here's the question. What is our chapter going to look like? How's it going to read? Our time in history. Are we going to be a church focused on the heart of Jesus and focused on reaching the lost? Or are we going to be a church focused on blowing things up and blowing people up? We're living at a time when the church right now, I'm talking about as a whole, is more divided than maybe it has ever been. And I wonder if Jesus might say to some in the church today, you have no idea what manner of spirit you are of. Now, don't get me wrong. 
It is important that we as the church and Christians stand on the truth and stand for what the Bible says. That we stand on doctrine. I will die on those hills. But the church today is divided by a lot of things that don't matter. In fact, this one broke my heart. This happened probably a month and a half ago here, and I don't even know the people involved, but somebody told me this, and it just broke my heart. There was a brother that was coming to our church at that time, still is, but he was coming at that time, and when he would come here, he would always wear his mask. He just felt he needed to do that. And that's his prerogative to do that. But his friends here, his buddies, would just give him the hardest time. Tease him and make fun of him. And when I heard that, it just broke my heart. Now, he was mature enough, this guy, to be able to know that, oh, these guys, they're just, you know, giving me a hard time. But I thought, what if that guy was an unbeliever? And that happened to him at a place like this. What a turnoff that would be to Jesus. To him just going, I want nothing to do with those Christians. They're the meanest people I ever, I've ever met, you know? We got to be careful. We got to see the bigger picture, guys. I'm going to ask the band to come out right now. And as they do, I want you just to think about a few questions. Here's the first one. Will you be willing, will I be willing, will we be willing to surrender our preconceived ideas about others for the purpose of God? Will we start looking at people differently so that we see them the way that Jesus does? We need to ask ourselves, are my prejudices or my preconceived ideas standing in the way of God's purpose for someone else? Are my words standing in the way of God's purpose for someone else? Is my attitude standing in the way of God's purpose for someone else? I think these are all really good questions for us to consider especially as we are looking ahead toward Easter in a few weeks when we're going to be at the Moonlight Amphitheater. And we need to be thinking now about people that the Lord would have us to invite that don't know him or that are far from him. That Jesus has a heart for, that he loves, that he died for, that he wants to set free. How do we see the world around us you know when Peter addressed as people were going what's what's taking so long I hear Christians say that sometimes what's Lord what's taking so long come on get us out of here remember what Peter said in 2nd Peter 3 18 he says hey God is long suffering here's why he doesn't want anybody to perish but that all should come to repentance that's the heart that he wants us to have. That's the big picture that Jesus wants us to be zeroed in on. And so at this time, Joe's going to lead us in a song right now. And I want us to use this before we go our way, before we go off and get lunch, that we would use this moment 
individually and corporately that we would just take this moment right now to examine our hearts. To say, Lord, is there, is there somebody that I'm really angry at, that I've got animosity towards, maybe even hatred? Is there some group that I'm just really upset about? Lord, am I seeing things around me the way that I need to see them through your eyes and with your heart? Can we just bring our hearts, get real for a moment and just bring our hearts? You guys with me on that? Just, let's just take this moment. Let's just bring our hearts to the Lord right now. Ask him to check us. As we sing this song together, let's make this our prayer that David, like David said, Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. And if there is, Lord, I'm giving you the permission right now to to challenge it, to rebuke me, because I want you to lead me, as David said, in the way everlasting. Let's bring our hearts to him right now.